Blog Talk Radio. Time now for the Gridiron Stud Show. Well, you can be all American. Actually, you now. You're right? Actually, I can do it now. You can do it now? Yeah, I can do it. But I'm trying to focus on my position. With your host, Chad Wilson. They hate no me on set. You know, I got to be setting in the mix. Bringing you high school, college, and NFL talk. I don't rap a discipline. Minasa. You all need more discipline. True discipline. Come on, get a grip. Call us on the show today. Don't get out of my face with that crazy stuff. The number to call, 347-633-9365. If y'all got to take, y'all know that. Or you can reach us on Twitter, at Gridiron Stud. And now, your host, Chad Tuesday, January 13th, 2015, and uh, we have a college football champion, the first champions of the college football playoff, the first ever FBS, make sure I clarify that, first ever FBS, formerly known as Division 1A playoff, the champion comes not from the SEC, not from the Pac-12, not from the Big 12. It comes from the embattled Big Ten, who three, four, five years ago could not win bowl games, could not win in uh, the end of December and January. The Big Ten produces your first ever college football playoff champion. Congratulations to the Ohio State Buckeyes and Urban Meyer as they uh, become the first ever college football playoff champion. And uh, they went out there and got it done in grand fashion yesterday, just really held Oregon's offense in check, that unstoppable-looking offense that went willy-nilly on Florida State on January 1st in the Rose Bowl the uh, duck offense that looked completely unstoppable. I mean, you got to love sports for that reason. I mean, no one gave Ohio State really a chance in this game. A lot of that based on what Oregon was able to do and what they've been able to do all season long. They took what many believe to be strong opponents and uh, drug them behind a woodshed and flogged them to death and sent them on their way. So it seemed Ohio State would... You know, face the same fate, and that was not to be. And and the saying goes, that's why we play the game. 
And uh, that's exactly what we had go on last night. If you weren't aware going into this game who Ezekiel Elliott was, is, if you were focused on the Todd Gurley's of the world, if you were focused on the Melvin Gordons of the world, the Amir Abdullahs and the Nick Chubbs and Leonard Fournettes and all those other people that received some acclaim this year for toting the mail, uh, you better get wise on Ezekiel Elliott. He opened uh, a lot of eyes last night. Um, your true and hardcore football fans, such as myself, uh, obviously aware of Elliott's talents, but last night he really, really made that uh, a a he, he really put himself on the grand stage and said, "Here I am, and you guys need to pay attention to me." Um, and and was a big, big part of what. The Ohio State Buckeyes were able to accomplish night, uh, last night. Elliott uh, sets the record for rushing yards in a championship game. Eclipses Vince Young's mark in that very memorable Rose Bowl game that he had against uh, USC back in 2006, I believe it was, following the 2005 season. Uh, that mark by Vince Young. Uh, was 200 yards on the nose. Elliott goes 36 carries for 246 yards last night. Uh, and the Ohio State Buckeyes, 61 rushing attempts in the game last night. 61 rushing attempts. By comparison, Oregon, uh, a team running, um, you know, we could call it a run-based offense. Can we? Can we do that? I think with uh, Marietta back there uh, and very seasoned, they felt more comfortable throwing the ball uh, this year than maybe in, in years past. Only 33 rushing attempts for the uh, Oregon Ducks last night. So uh, Elliott racks off 246 yards on 36 carries. Folks, I'm here to tell you, if uh, the other team gets 36 rushing attempts, you're probably going to be on the losing end of things. And that's one of the topics that I would like to cover tonight. There is so much talk about how the game of football is changing and, um, you know, everyone's throwing the ball and it's all about receivers and the passing game now. It's all about that because some people want to make it all about that. doesn't mean that that's, uh, you know, the formula for winning. You have people out there that lead you to believe that this is the future of the game, you know, throwing the ball 40, 50, 60 times, doing what Baylor is doing. Uh, that might be the future of the game, but it's not going to be the future of uh, successful teams that win it all, that raise the championship trophy up, or that build dynasties. It's not. And uh, Oregon's the poster child for that. The poster child for that. Now, again, they run the ball... Uh, you know, more than most of your teams that do this, that run these wide-open spread attacks. But I'm here to tell you that hurry-up stuff, and there are a lot of proponents for it out there, I guess. I, I call it the ego-based offense, where typically the guys running it enjoy being called geniuses by the media. They enjoy racking up a ton of yardage on helpless teams. They enjoy having exponential amount of passing yards showing up on the box score and uh, being in high demand. It's fool's gold, people. 
trying to run 100 plays a game means your defense is going to be out there. And, uh, you know, some of you guys out there need to understand there's a marriage between offense and defense. Some of your offensive gurus out there want to believe that uh, offense has their own office. They operate in some different building somewhere. And their job is just to go out there and score. And that's it. Well, you know, scoring's nice. Let's, I mean, uh, quite frankly, at the end of the day, team with more points wins. But it's not always about that. And these guys that think that it's just always all about that and not necessarily trying to control a football game, well, then you end up like Oregon did last night. When you keep trying to trick and trick people and find new ways to get a wide receiver open, and that becomes who you are, uh, third and one, you got to get in the shotgun and throw some pass somewhere and try and fit a ball in between defenders, and you just can't turn around and hand the ball to your power back and tell your offensive line, move your guy off the spot and let's go get a yard. When you can't do that, you're going to have a hard time winning those big games. That's just point blank period. That's just the way that this thing works. If you can at a certain point line up in front of a defense and the defense knows you're running the ball and you run it anyway and get yards, you're probably not going to be able to win those big games because there comes a point in time where for after all your throwing and genius and crisscrossing routes and awesome route combinations and releasing this one out the backfield and running this one on this particular route at a certain point, man, it's just going to come down to who's tougher than who. And until they take the helmet and the shoulder pads off to play this game, that's really what it's going to always just come down to. Yeah, there's rule changes. They've made all these rule changes to help the offenses out. But until they take off the helmet and the shoulder pads and they stop padding up to play this game, it's going to be about what's going on in the trenches. Can that offensive line move that defensive line off the spot? Can the defensive line totally dominate those big guys up front and ruin everything that you're trying to do and force you to be one-dimensional, make you throw the ball all the time, especially on third and fourth and one? Some guys need to get that through their thick skulls. You want to call me on the show today? The number is 347-633-9365. We will be covering a number of topics here on the show today. Hoping to get to them all. We'll talk more about the importance of the running back. Touched on that just now. Got to ask ourselves, will the Oregon Ducks ever win it? Talk a little bit about 7-on-7 football. And uh, also talk about an issue that is, you know, exploding year by year. Recruiting and transferring in the high school football game. It is a part of the game now. And uh, it's the wild, wild west, especially if you're down here in South Florida like I am. It is the wild, wild west. What to do about that? So those are the issues here today. And, again, you can call 347-633-9365 if you want to get something off your chest, if you've got a question, comment, something that we could discuss here on the show, feel free to call in, and we can discuss it here. As always, you can reach me on Twitter, at Gridiron Studs. Take your questions and comments there. So one of the discussions I'm having with someone on uh, Twitter, again, getting back to 
uh, the, the running back topic is, you know, the importance of the running back. And it shouldn't be lost on uh, anyone. It should This fact should be known. The best running backs this year were found from the conference that won it all. The Big Ten had a banner year for running backs, an absolute banner year. They had a pair of 2,000-yard rushers. Not many people in the country know this, but Melvin Gordon was not the only running back to go over 2,000 yards this year. There's a running back in Indiana that many people didn't know about. Perhaps you uh, fantasy geeks may know about him if you played, like, you know, those weekly fantasy games on a FanDuel, then you know about Tevin Coleman. But Mr. Coleman averaged the same 7.5 yards a carry that Melvin Gordon did. He rushed for 2,036 yards. And I'll tell you, if Indiana was as good a team this year as maybe Wisconsin, Tevin Coleman might have made a serious run at being the uh, rushing leader in college football this year. Perhaps one of the reasons Coleman only got 270 carries compared to Melvin Gordon's 343 was the fact that you know Indiana found themselves behind in more games and thus needed to pass to get themselves back into it. Tevin Coleman, 270 carries, 2,036 yards, 7.5 yards per carry. Mr. Elliott, who racked it up big time last night, ends the season with 1,878 yards rushing, 6.9 yards per carry. And let's look at the long for those three running backs. Melvin Gordon had a long of 88 yards. Tevin Coleman had a 90-yard run for a touchdown this year. Ezekiel Elliott, 85-yard touchdown run. You had to be impressed with Elliott last night. So should it be a coincidence, perhaps? The best running backs came out of the Big Ten this year, the conference, oh, by the way, that won this whole thing, the first college football playoff. I'm telling you, you folks that like all that throwing the ball around stuff, and don't get me wrong, I like a good passing game, but when that's the only thing you're coming to the party with, You're going to get disappointed. Your fans are going to be disappointed. They're going to want to know why the team that spanked three teams 70 to something during the season couldn't win it at the end. They're going to want to know why. They're going to want answers. I already have those answers for you. Some of y'all don't want to hear them. But I got them for you. I mean, if you you want me to give you the Coors Light cold hard facts, that whole pitching the ball around the yard every damn play. Oh, it'll get you to beat the hell out of Southwest, Northwest, Southwest, those schools. But when it comes time to really get down and dirty with the best teams in the country, you're going to go home a loser. So aside from those three backs, Gordon Coleman and Elliott, you had David Cobb and Amir Abdullah both go for 1,600 yards this year. Cobb, running back from Minnesota, rushed for 1,626 yards. Abdullah, 1,611 yards. Jeremy Langford from Michigan State also rushed for 1,522 yards. And Northwestern's Justin Jackson was a 1,000-yard rusher this year. Bet you guys didn't know that. Wisconsin's backup running back, Corey Clement, rushed for 949 yards. Big Ten had the best running backs this year, ladies and gentlemen. So 
you know, how about the SEC? They got a lot of pub this year, obviously. The overall numbers hurt by Todd Gurley, you know, missing a quite, quite a bit of the year for signing stuff. Number one rusher in the SEC this year was Cameron Artis Payne from Auburn, 1,608 yards. Almost 900 yards less than what Melvin Gordon was able to put up for Wisconsin this year. And uh, Artis Payne had 300 yards, uh, 300 attempts. Now, SEC fans will argue that uh, a lot tougher defenses in the SEC than in the Big Ten, and I would agree with that. Would definitely agree with that. Nick Chubb was your number two rusher in the SEC this year with 1,547 yards. He had a 7.1 yard uh, per carry average. Josh Robinson out of Mississippi State, 1,203 yards, 6.3 yards a carry. Jonathan Williams out of Arkansas, 1,190 yards, 5.6 yards a carry. His uh, running mate in the backfield, Alex Collins, a local guy here out of South Florida. South Plant High School, 1,100 yards rushing, 5.4 yards a carry. Russell Hansborough out of Missouri, 1,084 yards, 5.3 yards a carry. And Leonard Fournette, the sensational freshman out of LSU, uh, racked up 1,034 yards rushing, 5.5 yards per carry. But uh, there's no debating it. Big Ten had the best running backs in the country this year. And uh, your uh, your champions of college football are the Ohio State Buckeyes. Who out there gave them a chance? I picked them to cover a point spread in uh, yesterday's. You know, Eamon and I have our picks. My co-host on Mondays and Fridays. We have a little competition that goes every year. I did pick Ohio State. I just got spooked by Urban Meyer. I mean, I felt like most everyone else watching Oregon. In that game against Florida State, they just looked really sensational, forcing turnovers on defense, which when you got to hurry up offense, you better be forcing some turnovers on defense. Limits the amount of plays that you see. And uh looked like they were doing that against Florida State. Uh, you know, perhaps those were self-inflicted. At least one of them for sure was, and that was the Mishandled uh, passing attempt by Jameis Winston, but I don't know the fumbles that you saw from uh, from Dalvin Cook. Those were forced. Defender threw his hand in there, but nevertheless, uh, I felt like you know knee jerk wise after watching that uh, Oregon Florida State game that Oregon looked like uh, a, a whirlwind force. And I saw Ohio State in a back-and-forth battle with Alabama to win their game. But this is where experience comes in. And after having some time to think about things, I realized, hey, listen, Ohio State didn't get this far by chance. I mean, this is a team that went through quite a bit, battle-tested, mentally strong, not to mention talented on both sides of the ball and certainly capable of making it a long night for the Oregon Ducks. And one of the biggest things that scared me in analyzing and looking at this game was that one game that I saw this year, and I think I believed I mentioned it in talking uh, on the show yesterday, is Oregon 
had a game this year against UCLA in which they gave up, I believe, 328 yards rushing. And this is UCLA. Right? UCLA was a good team this year. Not a great team. Certainly not the uh, most hardcore rushing team in college football. Not even in the in the Pac-12. And Oregon allowed 328 yards rushing to UCLA. That scared the living hell out of me. And uh, supporting Oregon as a strong, solid favorite in this game. Now, mind you, I did pick Oregon back in July to win the national championship. I'll give myself half a pat on the back for them making it this far. I did say Oregon versus Alabama. I did correctly pick three out of the four teams that would appear in the college football championship. So I'll give myself some credit for that. But at the end of the day, coming into this game and picking it yesterday, I had a hard time supporting Oregon uh, as a favorite of that level. And I felt like the odds makers put the advantage in the court of the Ohio State Buckeyes. They could just turn around and say, hey, once again, we are being undervalued. What else do we need to do? We destroyed Wisconsin 59 to nothing with our third-string quarterback. And then we go out and beat mighty Alabama, who has been the football gods of college football for the last almost decade. And still, we're going to sit here and be almost a touchdown underdog to a team that is yet to taste a championship in their history. So a tremendous amount of motivation was put into the hands of the Ohio State Buckeyes. And, you know, the odds makers do play an important part in these type of games. People are aware of the point spread, and it, you know, sometimes adds motivation. And for other teams, it can give them the wrong idea about things. And I don't know for sure if that's what happened with Oregon, but Ohio State certainly looked like the more prepared team last night. And as such, they are your first champions. The importance of a running back. What do the last decade of Super Bowls tell us about running the football? We'll talk about that and more when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this.
to all you high school recruits out there. You want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. We got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up. And let yourself be seen. trying to tell you what's that mean best quarterback how are we uh, measuring that does that mean uh, a guy who can throw for the most yards like Peyton Manning Matthew Stafford that that guy Drew Bees Aaron Rodgers I think of those four guys I named there what what is what is two or three championships between those four guys is that how we're measuring Top quarterbacks now. Peyton Manning has one. Drew Brees has one. Aaron Rodgers, one championship. By the way, Trent Dilfer has one, and so does Brad Johnson, guys. See, there's this thought process now that it's just all about the quarterback. Football is a team game. It is about the team Teams that try to put too much importance on one position, typically quarterback, usually end up falling short. Think if I polled America and asked them who's the best quarterback in that game last night, hands down, Marcus Mariota. Cardell Jones is uh, no slouch. I don't think we'll get anyone outside of the state of Ohio to tell us going into the game last night that Cardell Jones is a better quarterback than Marcus Mariota. Likewise, when we're talking about the Super Bowl going into it last year, I think if we took a nationwide poll and excluded the city of Seattle or the state of Washington and we asked who's the best quarterback or the better quarterback out of the two in that matchup, Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson, we're going to get overwhelming votes on behalf of Peyton Manning. 
Seattle Seahawks won the Super Bowl. The Ohio State Buckeyes are your champions last night. Tell me again about how important a quarterback is. Quarterback's important, man, but it's not the only thing, and then people have got you believing that. You got to have a good quarterback, yes, but what is a good quarterback? Can throw for the most yards or a guy who can throw the football, especially when needed, and can manage a game, and whose ego won't be so big that in crucial moments he's not afraid to turn around and hand the football to a running back that's going to cement a win. Do I need to trot out the stories? You know, I'm old enough to remember. Maybe a a good portion of my audience is not old enough to remember. But there was this awesome running uh, quarterback when I was a kid who had a hand cannon and can throw the ball on from anywhere to anywhere on the field. He had a nice stable of wide receivers. And they racked up the passing yards like crazy. Every regular season, lighting people up. It was awesome to see it. Just passing his way to... It was fun to watch, no doubt about it. Every regular season, just lighting teams up. He'd get to the Super Bowl, as he did several times, and he'd get completely run up off of the field. I mean some extremely embarrassing Super Bowl losses. That guy's name was John Elway, played for the Denver Broncos. They had a receiving core called the Three Amigos. If you're my age or slightly younger, you remember that. Towards the end of his career, John Elway wised up. The ego went down. He put a little ice on the ego. The swelling of the ego went down. The guy named Terrell Davis came to Denver. John Elway was wise enough to say, hey, I threw the ball for all those yards, all those years, and I got punched in the nose in those Super Bowls. Let me try this running thing. Let me, in a crucial moment, not feel the need to have to call my own number, turn around, hand the ball to Terrell Davis. And with that new train of thought, the Denver Broncos won back-to-back Super Bowls. John Elway went out a winner. His buddy Dan Marino, who people don't like me to talk about down here, ego never went away. Needed to have that ball in his hand, needed to lick his fingers, and needed to spin it. Needed to toss the ball for all those yards. Needed to, in the crucial moments, have the ball in his hand. And uh, his defenders will say, well, he never really had a running back. He never really wanted it. He never really wanted someone else to be the shine, even towards the end of his career when he was when he's walking around with butt-naked fingers. One of his predecessors, Bob Greasy, had no problem handing the ball to Larry Zonka and Mercury Morris. And they had a perfect season that is immortalized every year. No problem when we need it. That's what we need to win. I'll turn around and hand the ball to these guys. They'll get the job done. And when you need me to throw that ball, when the situation calls for it, I'll do it. But I don't have to have the ball in my hand in the crucial moment because if it calls for a running game, then that's what we'll do. Perfect season, multiple Super Bowl wins. 
Some will call Dan Marino the greatest quarterback in Dolphin franchise history. I won't. He could throw the ball the best of anyone that's ever lined up in a Dolphins uniform. Greatest quarterback? That's still Bob Greasy. And uh, for some people, that hurts. So the importance of a running back. I'm talking about ancient times when I talk about the Dolphins and Larry Zonka and Mercury Morris and even Dan Marino. Let's talk about recent times because uh, we're hearing it's becoming all about the the, uh, the ability to throw the ball now. It's becoming a passing league. I hear that. It's becoming a passing league because that's what people want to do. The champions, though, the ones that win it all at the end, eh, not so much. So I go back and I look at the last decade of Super Bowls. And here's what we've got. Of the last 10 Super Bowls, the team that has rushed for more yards has won seven of the last 10 Super Bowls. Seven of the last 10 Super Bowls have been won by the team that rushed for more yards. Last year, Seattle outrushed Denver 135-27. to 27. Thus, we had one of the more lopsided Super Bowl results in uh, the game's history. Seven of the last ten. The New England Patriots, they've won three Super Bowls. They are considered the standard. Well, you know, it's been a decade since the New England Patriots have won a Super Bowl. I don't know if people realize that. I think they get confused since Tom Brady's still playing. And a kudos to uh, the Pats for being uh, an excellent team that that wins their division every year and uh, can win a playoff game or two every year. But truth of the matter is, they haven't won a Super Bowl in a decade. In the last 10 years, the New England Patriots have made the most appearances in the Super Bowl. The last time the New England Patriots outrushed their opponent in a Super Bowl matchup, you got it, the last time that they won, 10 years ago, when they took on the Philadelphia Eagles. In that game, the Patriots 112 yards rushing to Philadelphia's 45. In their uh, two subsequent appearances in the Super Bowl against the New York Giants, New England Patriots were outrushed in both of those. You see... Here's what happened. The New England Patriots had a little bit of a formula. They played pretty good defense. They had a solid ground game. And when they needed those key passes, when they needed a drive, Tom Brady was the guy. And what happened, they won those Super Bowls, and Tom Brady received a whole lot of credit for what happened there. And Tom Brady is the ultimate professional. He managed that thing. He continues to manage it, continues to be a great teammate, continues to restructure his deal to keep talent there in New England, by no means am I downgrading Tom Brady. Not his fault. The media made Tom Brady a darling, and then suddenly Tom Brady needed to be marketed for the New England Patriots. And suddenly it all now seemed to have to revolve around Tom Brady. Everything put on Tom Brady's shoulders. And suddenly now the strong running game that could close out a football game, can take a game with four minutes left and run down the clock and give it back to the other team's offense with 30 seconds left, that did not exist anymore. 
the New England Patriots became about four and five wide receiver sets and little slot dudes named Welker and Edelman became about that and Randy Moss that one year. We're going to throw the ball 45, 50 times. Since it became all about Tom Brady in the passing game and the ball needing to be in Tom Brady's hand in the most crucial moments of the most crucial games, the New England Patriots have not raised the Lombardi Trophy. In their one game against the New York Giants, they were outrushed 91-45, to went home, took an L. Last time they faced the New York Giants, got outrushed 115-83, to went home, took an L. It's all about Tom Brady and some guy looking like the way Eli Manning looks has two trophies sitting at home. Why? Because the Giants could close out a football game. They could get rough with you up front. They could move guys off the spot. They can hand the ball to a big dude like Brandon Jacobs, and he can go in there and pound you and run you right off the field. He can take three, four minutes off the clock. He can make your damn defense tired. And the New York Giants could dominate the line of scrimmage. And you folks... You offensive gurus can make all of the excuses you want and say, oh, it was all about the Giants' defense. And, you know, they just dominated the game. Yes, they dominated the game because the New York Giants' defense was married to the New York Giants' offense. The Giants didn't throw the ball 50 times a game and had the New York Giants' defense on the field facing 60, 70, 80 plays in a game because you're not going to be so dominant then. You're going to get tired. So, since they decided they didn't want to outrush teams in big games anymore, the New England Patriots have not prospered. And I'm going to say the stat to you again. Seven of the last ten Super Bowl champions outrushed their opponents. Well, it's not just about the rushing yards. Sometimes it's about the attempts. Who has committed to the running game? Sometimes a three-yard gain is better than a pass attempt. Especially when in a crucial moment of a game, a pass attempt is a five-yard out route that goes out of bounds and keeps the time, uh, stops the clock when you have a lead. A two-yard gain is better than an incomplete pass when you have a lead. And you keep time on the clock and you keep giving the other team an opportunity to run plays and, and score and get back in the game. So what do the rushing attempts tell us? Of the last 10 Super Bowls, the team that rushed for more yards or the team that had more rushing attempts, let me you know, correct that, the team that had more rushing attempts won the Super Bowl eight of the last ten times. Say it again. The team with more rushing attempts in the last ten Super Bowls has won eight of the last ten times. A commitment to a ground game is necessary. This is a physical game. It's still about that. And until they take the pads and the shoulder pads and the helmets away from the players, that's not going to change. So we can have all, all the rules that we want. 
And we can make all these rule changes, but it's going to come down to what's happening in those trenches, and you've got to be able to run the ball. You've got to have a commitment to running the ball. Last year, Seattle had 29 rushing attempts to Denver's 14. The Baltimore Ravens the year before, they were outgained rushing-wise by the San Francisco 49ers, but they did have 35 rushing attempts to San Francisco's 29, and they were your champions. Let's talk about those New England Patriots again. Ten years ago when they won that Super Bowl over the Philadelphia Eagles, the New England Patriots had 28 rushing attempts in the game. The Philadelphia Eagles, who were all about their West Coast offense, and Andy Reid needing to be a little pass-happy, they only had 17 attempts. The Patriots had 28 rushing attempts to Philadelphia's 17. Patriots walked away your winner. The next time the New England Patriots showed up in a Super Bowl against the New York Giants, the Giants had 26 rushing attempts to New England's 16. Almost double. Giants went away winner. The next time New England showed up, again, it was all about Tom Brady, only 19 rushing attempts. The Giants had 28. Giants went home your winner. Only two out of your last 10 Super Bowl winners won the game with less than 20 rushing attempts. And those were uh, your very pass-oriented New Orleans Saints, who uh, coincidentally faced another pass-happy team in the Indianapolis Colts, and uh, your Green Bay Packers, who were very uh, quarterback-centric. What about the Indianapolis Colts, who have made uh, two appearances in the Super Bowl in the last 10 years? First time the Colts went, they defeated the Chicago Bears. How did the Colts do that? It was early on about Peyton Manning, but Peyton Manning hadn't really become this big uh, genius. He was a good quarterback who had a pretty good understanding of the game, but it wasn't uh, the Peyton Manning... I call all these plays at the line, and I don't need an offensive coordinator. I don't even look to the sidelines. It hadn't yet become that yet. It had not yet become that when the Colts took on the Chicago Bears in that Super Bowl. They may have been moving a little bit in that direction, but he hadn't become this field general genius who, you know, needed to manipulate all the plays and uh, the ball needed to be in his hand in the most crucial moments. In that Super Bowl against the Chicago Bears, the Indianapolis Colts, and this will shock many of you, had 42 rushing attempts and outrushed the Chicago Bears 191 to 111 yards. Over the last decade, the Indianapolis Colts are the team with the highest rushing total in a Super Bowl and the team with the most attempts out of the last 10 Super Bowls. That Consequently, is the only Super Bowl championship that Peyton Manning has in his career and likely the only one that he will have, given what I'm seeing right now. Unless, unless Peyton hangs on there in Denver and they get really serious about committing themselves to a running game and Peyton throws the ball when he needs to. How great would that be? How great would that be if Peyton Manning took that approach? 
Clearly, my arm is not what it is, but I do have the brain. And how deadly can we be as an offense if we develop one heck of a running game and then I use my smarts when teams got to load up to stop my running game to cut a defense to pieces now that I'll have more windows because everyone's got to pay attention to a guy who's bigger time than me. Minette Anderson running back for Denver looks to be a really seriously tough dude. Looks like a guy that can you can turn around and really hand the ball to and mash out some serious yards, and now you've got to start piling people in the box to deal with him. How important, how lethal could Peyton Manning be now if that takes place? Very interesting. The next time the Colts went to the Super Bowl, uh, they did take on the New Orleans Saints. They had 99 yards rushing, but they only attempted to rush 19 times. Perhaps if they attempted five more rushes, they would have won that Super Bowl. And maybe uh, Peyton Manning doesn't find himself in a situation where he throws a pick six. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. So, I don't know. You guys out there can argue with me about it, but running backs are very, very important. Seattle knows that. Seattle's probably your favorite to win this thing. We'll see how that goes. Ohio State showed that last night. All-time rushing, uh, you know, championship rushing record by Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know what else you folks need to see. But we do need to uh, hop on some other issues here. Seven-on-seven football and transferring and recruiting in the high school football game. Is that what's going on out there? And what do we do about that? We'll talk about that more when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. <laughs> what is it? Maybach music. <laughs> In season, out of season, FitSpeed.com gives you the edge. Over 150 professional athletes and 5,000 youth and high school athletes as clients. Over 2,500 square feet of indoor turf. That includes two indoor 50-yard lanes, plus a fully equipped weight room with the latest and most technically advanced equipment available. That's over 8,000 square feet of total workout space. Plus, they have the best training staff anywhere in the country. It's owned by current NFL wide receiver Brandon Marshall, it's why athletes like Chad Ochocinco work out there, and it's why you should work out there too. If you want to be the best, get on your grind and visit fitspeed.com today. Hey, 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 do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payouts. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one day contest for $25 and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code Studs when you sign up. 
but you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! You want to play college football, right? Well, that's not going to happen unless you have a highlight video. And if you want one of the best highlight videos in the country, then visit Under the Radar Highlight Videos right now. They will give you their best. Ten DVDs, affordable, done fast. They'll even remix your highlights or take your huddle highlights and put them on YouTube. And they've worked with some of the best. Deion Sanders Jr., top recruits in the country, Adoree Jackson and Joe Mixon. Current UCLA wide receiver Shaquille Evans. Cordell Brodus, son of Snoop Dogg, as well as top 2013 USC recruit Stuart Craven. If you want to be seen by the colleges and have the offers rolling in, then you need to contact Under the Radar Highlights right now. Visit them at youtube.com forward slash users UTR Highlight Videos. That's youtube.com forward slash users forward slash UTR Highlight Videos. Get over there, get that video made, and be seen by the colleges now. All you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. We got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up and let yourself be seen. Back here on the Gridiron Stud Show, the final segment of the Tuesday edition of the Gridiron Stud Show. Talked a little bit about the uh, college football championship, and again, congratulations to the Ohio State Buckeyes and Urban Meyer. I mentioned this on Twitter last night. One of the best skills that Urban Meyer has is uh, his ability to choose the next job, to choose coaching jobs that are really, really good for him. Now, mind you, by no means is that mean he is not a great coach. Urban Meyer, I would venture to say, is probably the best college football coach we've got going right now. And I'm sure there's some folks in Alabama that might want to disagree with that. But uh, I would, uh, I would, if I had to make my vote, I would say Urban Meyer right now. He's been a winner everywhere he has gone. Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, now Ohio State. Uh, really close between him and Saban. But at this point in time, I've got to give it to Urban Meyer. But one of the uh, great skills that Urban Meyer has is his ability to find that great gig. Started off at Bowling Green. You know, when you're at Bowling Green and you're a brand-new head coach, you can make some mistakes over there. It's not going to be plastered everywhere. It's not going to be thrown all around every place. 
No one's going to fly a banner over your stadium. You're not going to be the lead on Sports Center if you make a faux pas. Did his winning there, tested out some of his theories with a spread option, seemed to work, and he didn't hop from Bowling Green to LSU or Texas. His next job was not a highly pressurized one. Went to Utah, because at that point in time in his career, that's what he needed. That's where he needed to be. Still needed to test out a few ideas that he had. Not just about spread option, about organization and management of people and all those things. And if you make a mistake in Utah, again, you're not going to be the lead on SportsCenter. You're not going to be plastered all over uh, all of the... Uh, I want to say tabloids, but, you know, the newspapers slash tabloids, it's not going to be that big of a deal. can get swept under the rug, and no one's going to be out to try and ruin your career. So he went to Utah, and they'd be, hap- they'd be happy and thankful for any type of winning that he brought there. And uh, he did win. And you could actually lose a game or two at Utah and not get run out of town. That would not have been the case had he gone to LSU or Texas. Or even Florida at that time. He could do what he needed to do. And he, without all of that pressure, moved Utah into the national spotlight. And now he could say to himself, I was at Bowling Green and I won. These things that I'm doing works. And I'm, now I'm going to Utah, another place. And not only do I find out that it works, but I, it works to the point where a team like Utah, with so many less resources, could go to a BCS uh, bowl game and beat one of these big-time conference opponents. So now, now, I think I'm ready to take my theories, my knowledge, and what I know and go implement it at one of these big-time schools. Because, hell, if I can beat a big-time school with Utah, put me in a place like Florida. And so now it was time for him to go to a place like Florida. And you choose Florida. You're choosing a program that is in the most talent-rich area for recruits in the country. Oh, by the way, you also happen to be the only school in that state that's in one of, if not the top conferences at the time in the country, the SEC. where the money flows, I have the resources, I can I can take what I did at Bowling Green in Utah and I can land here in Florida with an embarrassment of riches in terms of recruits and an open wallet where money is not a problem, what I need they will spend for, and he goes there and produces two national championships. And at a certain point, like it does for every coach, uh, once you win a couple of championships, in this day and age, the pressure to keep winning gets insurmountable. You've got Florida Gator fans that are all up in arms about the way Urban Meyer left and that he left. Man, I don't blame him. Do you not see what happens to coaches? Did you not see what happened to Brady Hoke? Did you not see what happened to Will Muschamp? Do you not see how uh, fan bases now are savages? They will eat you alive. Once you win them a championship and then you can't do it again, once you can't do it every year, they're savages. And because Urban Meyer became such a beast in the SEC, others had to up their game. And Alabama went out and got themselves a Nick Saban, who 
did what he had to do to get what he needed to get at Alabama, and they had a really big war chest, probably maybe bigger than Florida's. And Urban Meyer saw the handwriting on the wall and the pressure and the walls closing in. Once it starts affecting your health, come on. It's time to take a break, which he did. And you got to say what you need to say so that you don't ruin the rest of your career in case you still want to have one. So you can't get up there in front of everyone and say, hey, this thing's too tough for me. The pressure's too much. I'm going to just take a break and quit now. You got to come up with a story because that's what people need. He couldn't get up there in front of the media and say, I'm going to quit now. This is a little too tough for me. The pressure's too much. How's he going to get another coaching job after that? Urban Meyer said what he needed to say, came up with an effective story that the media couldn't argue with. The man says he has heart troubles. You're not going to argue with that. So Urban Meyer mastered the domain that he lived in. And uh, I can believe him having uh, heart trouble. I can believe him having health issues. Man, I coached high school football, and that got very, very stressful. I can only imagine what it is when you're coaching a a high-profile college football team. I can only imagine the amount of meals you skip and the hours of sleep that get lost into the wind. Yeah, could have effect on your heart. So a family man made a decision. Rested up, observed the things that were going on, observed college football, took note of things, perhaps studied what Saban did and what the successful people were doing, and an Ohio State job came open a downtrodden Big Ten conference where they were having some trouble winning bowl games, and uh, Urban Meyer, armed with the knowledge that he acquired along the way at Bowling Green at Utah, and especially uh, in the SEC, recruiting in the SEC, where he learned what type of athletes it takes to totally dominate the opposition, Urban Meyer said, not only is there a good roster there at Ohio State, because let's face it, the last coach got run off, not because he couldn't win, but because there were some improprieties. He got forced out, and I'm going behind a, a good coach who recruited well, and the cupboard is not bare. And I can go into a conference now where no one's really dominating, and I can go recruit the kind of athletes that I need. I can go down into Florida because i got ties there, and I can bring an SEC-style roster to uh, Ohio State. And I can win. And when you're winning at Ohio State, all eyes get to be on you. And I'm telling you, I went to, I took a trip to Ohio State two years ago. Everyone in that damn building believed that Ohio State was going to win a bunch of football games. And I'm not just talking about the coaches because they're paid to believe that. I'm talking about the person washing and parking cars, the people who greeted you coming in, and the people riding around in carts. Everyone at Ohio State believed they were going to win. And uh, last night... Their beliefs were cashed in. They cashed in on those beliefs. So kudos to Urban Meyer. I don't know uh, how long he will stay at Ohio State. I imagine uh, the pressure is going to mount now. They get to a championship game next year and and win it. And uh, he has anything less than that kind of success going. The walls are going to close in. The pressure is going to get tough. Jim Harbaugh's in town now. If he steals a couple from them. The pressure will mount, and it'll be time probably for Urban Meyer to bounce out of there. And such is coaching these days. You have fan bases. You want to get out there and hop all over guys when they don't win? 
You want to go on Twitter rampages and have the media pick it up and get guys destroyed and they got to worry about their kids going to school and hearing awful things about their dad? Well, you don't get to keep your coach longer than four or five years. just doesn't happen for you. You can cry about it. You can do all that. It's uh, got a lot to do with how you behave and act. So a guy wins you a championship, then he loses three games the next year, and you're having a hissy fit, guy's going to bounce on you. That's just the way that it is. That's how all relationships will work. Wife cooks you dinner Monday through Friday, and then she doesn't come up with dinner on Saturday. Try going off on her. Tell me how that works for you. Tell me how many plates you're going to duck. Tell me if the skillet doesn't come out and she's taking a swipe at your head. So if you want to get all over your coaches because uh, you're going to have a hissy fit that you don't get to the championship every year, you lose your coach. The clock's ticking on Urban Meyer's time in Ohio State. They just won the championship. The clock has just been punched. Keep an eye on that situation. All right. Let's talk about high school football. Um, I don't know how things are across the country. I've had a chance to talk to some people out west. Fortunate enough to have them as friends of the show and guests of the show. Yes, they do have uh, a little bit of an issue with transferring and kids moving around from schools. There are a little bit of different rules in some other areas, I think also in California. But down here in the great old state of Florida, especially down here in South Florida, there are not the stingiest of rules on uh, player movement. And uh, every offseason, we get a bunch of players moving around. And every year, your top teams that have won championships uh, filter out their senior players, and now they must reload. And oftentimes that reloading means they're going to be picking up players from your school and your school and your school. And every year I'm seeing it, and it's it's getting more and more coaches from one school getting upset with the coaches from the other school that seem to be getting all the players, and there's a back and forth, and you know there's recruiting going on, and coaches from one school that need to reload and keep the championships coming, start contacting players. They're calling them. They're texting them. They're inboxing them. They're DMing them, asking them about their current situation at their school because they feel this player's talented and can fill a need for them. And we need to keep winning championships here because uh, we got to keep that flame flickering. Happens all the time. Happens every year. It's happening right now. This is what we are come to know as transfer season. This is recruiting season. And this is decommitment season. And this is transfer season for high school football players. And so there's all the talk about all the players going to Miami Central High School. And players going to Booker T. These are two teams that won the championship. And American Heritage and Plantation, who won the 5A championship, needs to get players in. And, of course, St. Thomas, they're going to get some players every year. Guys leave. They want to keep winning championships at St. Thomas. They're a juggernaut. So players are going to transfer there. You just had um, a transfer to St. Thomas. As Cypress Bay lost a running back, Mike Epstein. Solid running back. For Cypress Bay, now heading over to St. Thomas. And uh, with each passing day, you're going to get the the announcements being made on Twitter. Such and such players leaving such and such school. Well, it really boils down to this. Uh, 
for you coaches out there that are upset with coaches, quote-unquote, recruiting or taking your players, you do right by your players. They don't leave. Now, some may not have the resources that other schools have. I get it. I understand that. By and large, if a kid feels you have his best interest in mind and that you're genuine, they can brush off those attempts. It's usually how that works. But if you're going to run out there now and go try and attack every coach that's out there trying to get your players, you're going to be a very busy guy this offseason. You're going to be very, very busy. What are you going to do? Fight four or five coaches that are coming after your players? Is that your plan? You're going to join MMA club? You're going to go get a concealed weapon permit? You're going to shoot somebody? What are you going to do? All that energy you're putting into going after these other coaches, I promise you if you take it, turn around, put it into your kids, they'll stay put. They'll tell you about someone trying to recruit your kids. Not only that, if you run yourself a really, really good program, if you start really running a great program, start teaching your kids what they need to know, start mentoring the kids the right way, you start living right, not only do your kids not leave, other kids start wanting to come to your program. How about that? Program starts to recruit itself. People will stand up and take notice. They'll say, hey, such and such coach is a really good guy, man. He's really getting it done for those kids. Really believes in those kids. Really has those kids' best interest in mind. I want my son to play for that coach. That's really just how that thing boils down. Who knows what the future rules will be in terms of uh, transferring? I have not heard of anything changing along those lines, so I don't have any inside information on that. And so until something uh, changes, that's got to be the formula for your coach out there. Run a good program. Do right by your kids. Be genuine. Have their best interest in mind. They don't leave. In fact, they tell others to come and enjoy what I'm enjoying, how this whole thing works. I don't know if I'm telling you anything new. Some of y'all probably out there already know it. It's just your nature now to want to go and go and confront guys or go post stuff in social media about someone trying to steal my players. And half of you out there that are complaining about people stealing your players, you're one of the biggest thieves. I mean, it's hilarious to me. I see some guys out there talking and bellyaching about someone stealing their players, and they themselves are some of the biggest thieves out there. We'll go and recruit and steal a player in a minute, but you're crying. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but that's what's going on. It's just amazing to watch. And uh, though I'm saying this, this is going to continue, and there'll still be coaches that conduct their business in the way that they do, which is going around trying to confront people and getting upset and spending an inordinate amount of time belly aching about who's taking their players and who's trying to recruit their guys. You even got coaches that will run around saying someone's trying to recruit their guys when no, no one damn well wants your players. No one's trying to take your guys. Please calm yourself down. Quit getting so caught up in your own importance. 
go learn something about football, number one, and then, you know, go learn something about being a good mentor to the kids that you have in your program now. Stop being a cesspool. The kids know when you're a scumbag. They know that. Trust me. They see it. Let me smile in your face, but, uh, you know, don't sell kids short. They have a good amount of intuition. Some of them can smell BS from a mile away. They can see it. And if you're full of crap, as much as you think you've got that kid's mind wrapped up, when they head into that principal's office with the transcript request, you're going to find out otherwise. They know you're a scumbag. And if you're one of those coaches, change your life. For God's sakes, you're responsible for another human being. A lot of these kids don't have uh, parents at home. They don't have dads. And so you're supposed to be it. And if you're running around telling them to do things they shouldn't be doing, and you're modeling behavior that shouldn't be modeled, no one will shed a tear if they decide to get their transcripts and head elsewhere. No one's going to feel sorry for you. Not one tear will be shed. It's in that kid's best interest to get the hell away from you. Some of you guys out there that tout about how you send kids off to school, that's awesome. A lot of them that have been sitting here watching you and your staff's unsavory ways, they take those same unsavory ways to a college campus somewhere. They model that behavior on a college campus in the middle of a multi-million dollar soon to be billion dollar if not already industry and they send them the hell back home they will get another kid that looks like you instantly quickly and in a hurry they don't need you like that i mean you've got rivals and 247 and scout telling you how great you are yeah those reporters write 20 articles every two days three days They're not all about you. They're writing about how 50 other guys are great. They'll get one of those other guys. And they'll send your weed-smoking, girlfriend-slapping, sticky-fingered-behind straight back home. And right back to that college coach that was thumping his chest, that high school coach who was thumping his chest about how he got you to school. And then a lot of times it's all over for you. So that's the story going on down here in South Florida. Kids transfer, kids move. Kids are going to look for the best opportunity. Parents know I've got one shot at this thing with my kid. He's not going to be 14, 15, 16, 17 years old again. He's not going to be able to repeat his high school career. He gets one shot at a college football scholarship and a career in athletics at the college level, and they are going to seek the best opportunity possible. Period, point blank, end of story. They are going to do what's in their best interest. And if you don't represent what's in their best interest, they're leaving. Coach doesn't have to inbox them, DM them, text them, call them. They're going to go find that coach. They're going to inbox him. They're going to text him. They're going to DM him and say, hey, I'm thinking about coming to your school. Things aren't right where I'm at. Coach is not doing anything for me. And they're out. And when that kid comes in with the transfer request and he tells you what school he's going to, automatically your ego will not allow you to think 
uh, this kid contacted the school and went over there. Automatically, you're going to think that other coach uh, went out and recruited your kid. No, nah, man. The kid left your ass. He left you. Didn't think you were providing the best opportunity. The parent felt the same way. Now, granted, some parents are a little overbearing, and they're not in touch with reality, and they transfer when they shouldn't. Happens. That happens, too. That's a part of the game. But uh, when these transfers start rolling, better start taking a look at yourself. And if you could see me right now, I'm drinking my tea. Because that's just really how it is. Those are the Coors Light Cold Hard Facts. When your kids start leaving, you better start looking at you and not what that other coach is doing. All right, so listen, uh, I laid it down for some of y'all here. Some of you offensive gurus, they want to pass 60, 70 times a game. That's real pretty. You'll beat the hell out of Iowa State. You'll crush them. You'll hand a king-size whipping to uh, one of the bottom feeders of your conference or one of those directional schools. Yeah, you're going to hang 70 on them. It's going to look real nice. Quarterback's going to throw for 600 yards, and your receiver is going to Get on the Belitnikov list because he's going to have three games during the year where he catches for 250 yards. That's awesome. You're going to be left out of these playoffs. and You're going to get in the playoffs and somebody that knows what it's about, which is what up front, offense, defensive line, being able to run the football when you need to, they're going to smash you and run you right up off the field. Hello, Oregon. I don't know when we'll see Oregon again at this point. I've had a couple cracks at it. And uh, they've tried to show everyone that a hurry-up offense is the wave of the future. That wave of the future currently has zero, count them, zero championships. So I like it for its entertainment value. It is fun to watch the Oregon Ducks play football. It is. But uh, if you're all about entertainment, great. You're about championships. Going to need to make some adjustment, Oregon Ducks. All right, and so with that, time for me to run out of here. Thank you for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. Appreciate you being a loyal listener. Thank you for making this the number one, not the number one, a featured a featured show on Blog Talk Radio. If you like the show, continue to listen. Bring a friend. We appreciate it. The more listeners, the merrier. Next show is uh, Thursday. We'll continue our discussion on college football, college football recruiting, and high school football. Until then, keep it safe, keep it light, and enjoy the rest of your day. Lost in a romance, to all you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit squidironstuds.com today. we got college coaches visiting. We've got people visiting. We've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. Squidironstuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up. And let yourself be seen.